Welcome to the Ewok Podcast, the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church with Robbie Locke. We're glad you're here, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to your life and helps you walk closer to God. Our goal is to help you draw close to God and understand Scripture better in its entirety. Well, without further ado, here's Robbie. This morning, we want to continue our study in 1 John in chapter 3. And we are studying together verses 7 down through verse 10. Just as a reminder of where we have come from, the subject of this chapter is what is a child of God and how do you become a child of God? And once you are a child of God, do you remain one forever or is that something that can come to an end? And we've been trying to answer all of these questions. We have seen that, first of all, the children of God are certain of their present. That is, right now, we know, the scripture says, that we are children of God. There's no question in our minds. If we've put our trust in Jesus, he has made us his children, and we are his children right now. Secondly, we said that the children of God are certain about the future. We're certain about the future because we know that we will be children of God forever, that one day we will go to be with him where he is, we will see him face to face, and we will be made into his image. And we look forward to that day. We've also learned in this passage that we have, as children of God, a purifying hope. The fact that we know that we're going to be with the Lord forever and live with him, in the present moment, it motivates us to live a holy life. The Lord said, be ye holy, why? For I, God, am holy. And when you are a child of God, God wants you to be like him, to take on the family characteristics, to be like the Lord Jesus, living out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. And the Bible says against these things, there is no law. So we have a purifying hope. And last week, we learned that true children of God do not practice sin. Now, when we say practice sin, we're talking about living in sin is a persistent way of life. Now, every one of us sins. There's not a one of us that doesn't sin. However, if we are true children of God, our desire now is not to live for the flesh, not to live for the world, not to live for sin, but rather to live for God, to live for Christ, to live in righteousness and purity. If someone is living persistently, continually in sin, then there is a good reason to question whether they are a true child of God. And we saw that last week. Now, I want to give you one more thing from this passage, which is covered in verses 7 through 10 of 1 John chapter 3. True children of God are different from the children of the devil. True children of God are different from the children of the devil. If you have your bulletins, there are some detailed notes there, and you may want to follow those as we study together. Let me just begin and with a quotation that I thought was wonderful by uh, Warren Wearsby, he made this statement. He said, an unbeliever who sins, an unbeliever who sins is a creature sinning against his creator. Let me say it again. 
An unbeliever who sins is a creature sinning against his creator. However, a Christian who sins is a child sinning against his father. And that's a big difference, isn't it? A Christian who sins is a child sinning against his father. He goes on to say this. The unbeliever sins against law, but the believer sins against love. And I thought that was a really powerful statement. When we profess to know and to love God, we ought to want to do His will, which means living for His glory, living in purity and in holiness. We do not live like the children of the devil, but rather like the children of God. Let's just bow for prayer. Lord, I need your help this morning as we approach the Holy Scriptures. We understand that the Holy Spirit is the unction that has been given to believers to understand the truth. And Father, should there be anyone here in our midst that does not know Christ as their Savior, they also need to have the Holy Spirit reveal the truth to them so that they might indeed become a child of God. For Father, the Scripture very clearly tells us that there are two kinds of children in the world. There are children of God and there are children of the devil. And so, Lord, we want to understand the difference between the two, and it's very clearly defined for us in this passage. Use your word to speak to our hearts today, and we'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Notice with me down in verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, I point you to this verse first. We're going to back up to verse 7 and begin up there in just a moment. But in verse 10, it very clearly tells us that there are two kinds of children in the world. There are children of God, and there are children of the devil. And the basic difference between those two is that children of God are righteous through Christ, and as a result, they live lives of righteousness and purity in this world. Or at least they seek to do so with the help of the Lord. So how are children of God and children of the devil different from one another? They do not practice, they do not live continuously in sin, but rather the child of God lives in righteousness. The children of the devil follow the example of their spiritual father doing evil deeds. The Bible tells us, in fact, of Satan that he sinned from the very beginning. We know that God did not create Satan. God created Lucifer, who was the head of all of the angels in heaven. He held the highest spot responsible all over all of the angelic host and leading the worship of God. But the Bible says that there came a moment when he saw his own beauty and began to be captured by himself, and he began to think that he ought to occupy the same level as God himself. We read in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, these words describe the attitude of Lucifer in heaven before he rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven and became Satan. 
He said these words. He said, for you have said in your heart, and these were his words, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most Lucifer, instead of leading the worship of the angelic host toward the true and living God, decided that he wanted to be God and to, in fact, replace God. And so he was a sinner from the beginning. He was rebellious against God. And as a result of that, he was judged by God and kicked out of heaven. And when he fell from heaven, a third of the angels who had been following him were kicked out of, the, of heaven with him, and they became the demons, and he became the devil. We next see Satan in the Garden of Eden. He lied to Eve in the Garden, first of all questioning and then contradicting the word of God. Listen to me. If someone questions the word of God, if someone contradicts the word of God, you can know that person is not from God. God is always right. We have no right to question God, certainly not to contradict his word. Satan deceived Eve into believing that God was withholding some great blessing from her by not allowing she and Adam to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil had said, if you just eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You will know what God knows. And the woman looked at the tree and it says it was something to be desired, not only for food, but to make one wise. In other words, she wanted this knowledge of good and evil. And the devil deceived her into partaking of that fruit. And the result was the fall of the human race. And every one of us have suffered since that time because of the decisions that Adam and Eve made. Notice here, it says in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. And I want to suggest to you that the main work of Satan in the lives of people today is to deceive them. For unbelieving people, those who have not trusted Christ as their Savior, he wants, them to, to, he wants to deceive them into believing that through their own self-effort or through their own religiosity that somehow they can be accepted before God. He wants unbelievers to continue in unbelief and to reject Jesus and as a result spend eternity separated from God in hell. In relation to believers, he also wants to deceive us. If we're saved, he can't do anything about our soul. But what he wants to do is to destroy us in our effectiveness in living the Christian life. He knows that we have been left in this world to bring glory to Almighty God. And he knows that if he can mess up our spiritual walk day by day by deceiving us, by questioning and contradicting the word of God, he can keep us from living for the Lord and for his glory. The devil is a deceiver. He is a liar from the beginning. He said to the woman, you will not surely die when God had said, yes, indeed, they would. By sharply differentiating between sin and righteousness, 
the Apostle John made plain the fundamental way in which God's children are manifest over against the children of the devil. It is how they live their lives. It is the fruit that is manifested in their lives. The believer and the unbeliever are both known by their fruits. Now you're familiar with these verses in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7. You will know them by their fruits, the Bible says. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. If you want to see who is a child of God and who is a child of the devil, look at the way they live their lives in relation to God. If they're living lives of love and submission and obedience and righteousness before God, it's an evidence that they are children of God. And if they're living opposite to that, it is the evidence that they are of the devil. The Bible teaches that Satan is the prototypical rebel. He's the leading antagonist against God. The Bible says he is the ruler of this sinful world system in which we live today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we read these words, In which you once walked, and he had just said that they were dead in their trespasses and sins, and that Christ had brought them now to life, but in the past they lived according to their sins and trespasses. And he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Notice the phrase he uses to describe unsaved people. He calls them sons of what? Disobedience. In other words, they are rebellious to the will of God and to the word of God. And he says, the one who is in charge of this world, the spirit that works in the hearts of the sons of disobedience, he is the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible calls him in another place, the God, small g, the God of this world. Now, I would assume that if you went up to the average person and asked them if they were following the devil today, they would say, well, of course not, because they don't have a consciousness of it. But from God's perspective, you are either following God or you're following God's enemy, the devil. Sin originated with Satan, and it is his constant practice himself. The Bible says that the devil is a murderer from the beginning. The Bible says that he is a liar from the beginning. He practices sin. Therefore, if any of us who profess to know the Lord as our Savior live in sin, we need to realize we are participating in the devil's activities. Sin is what the devil does, not what God does. If we're following God, we want to avoid sin. If we're following the devil, we will live in sin. And even believers, in moments in our lives, while we never become children of the devil, but sometimes we allow ourselves to walk in the devil's ways. 
We follow the temptations that are out there in the world. And I'm going to ask you, did you get tempted this last week by things in the world? I don't know about you, but I find that, you know, any time that I give to watching TV usually ends up being a negative influence in my life either because of language that is used or because of ideas and practices that are promoted. There is so much in this world system that is evil. And folks, we are in the world, but the Bible says the child of God is no longer of the world. We need to live different than the world does. Sin has nothing to do with God. Let me say it again. Sin has nothing to do with with God. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus was speaking to the most religious people of his day, the Pharisees. This is what he said of them. He said, you, the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. We say, of course that's the devil. But he looks at the most religious people in Judaism of the day and said, you are like your father, the devil, and the things that he does, you also are doing. The Apostle Paul was speaking to a man named Elimus, who was a sorcerer. And Paul, writing to him, says this to him. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, that is, at this Elimus, the sorcerer. And he said this, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Those who do not know the Lord are following the devil and they're doing the devil's activities and they are seeking to pervert the straight ways of the Lord. Folks, sin has nothing to do with God. And as a result, we cannot continuously practice sin if we are God's children because sin has nothing to do with him. Even the smallest sin that you and I might commit in our lives runs counter to the work of Jesus Christ. He came to save you to make you righteous, not to allow you to sin and to get away with it. The story is told about a group of teenagers who are enjoying a party when someone suggested that they go to a certain restaurant to have a good time. Jan says, I'd rather you took me home. My parents don't approve of that place. One of the girls looked at her and sarcastically asked her, are you afraid your father will hurt you? To which Jan replied, I'm not afraid my father will hurt me, but I am afraid I might hurt him. I thought that was interesting. I'm afraid that I might hurt him. Do you understand that when we sin, we do offend God, but it's more than just offending in the sense that he's holy and he can't stand sin. We also offend God in the sense in which we grieve the heart of God when we sin. 
Are you afraid of hurting your Heavenly Father? Are you afraid of hurting your Savior? Are you afraid of, of hurting the Holy Spirit, of grieving the Holy Spirit? Those who have experienced the love of God should have no desire to sin against that love. So how are the children of God and the children of the devil different from one another? Basically, the difference is those who know and love God and are his children seek to live in righteousness and purity because they've been made righteous through the blood of Jesus. And those who are children of the devil seek to follow the ways of the devil just like he did, lying from the beginning, deceiving, defrauding, and murdering, and so on. That's the way the children of the devil live their lives. Now, the second question I want to answer today is, why don't they practice sin? I mean, there's got to be some reason why the children of God do not live continually in sin. There are several reasons that we find in the passage today. Notice, first of all, in verse 7, true Christians, true children of God, do not practice sin because they have been declared righteous. Notice verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is what? Is righteous just as he is righteous. I want to ask you something. Are you righteous like Jesus is righteous today? The answer to that question is yo. Yes and no. <laughs> right? In our position, we are like the Lord Jesus, perfectly in that spiritual position in Christ in the heavenlies. In our practice, we are not perfect, right? We're, we're sinful beings. But the difference is, is that we seek to live righteously, and we now have the power to live righteously through the Lord Jesus Christ. True believers are declared righteous at the very moment of believing in Christ. That's called justification. God declares us righteous through Christ. That's why you can never be lost because Jesus took all your sins, past, present, and future, away when he died on the cross. But in terms of our practical lives, we go on to struggle with sin. But now, through Christ, and with the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit within us, we now can overcome sin, and we can live righteously in the eyes of God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The practical result of being justified by the Lord Jesus is the desire to lead a life of sanctification. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Thank God that's true, amen? Now, I want you to look with me and turn to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6. We're not looking up too many verses today, but I do want you to look with me in Romans chapter 6, and I want to read verses 17 and 18. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that though you... Now, what tense is the next word? It's past tense, right? Though you were 
the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now, what was the doctrine we received that resulted in changing our lives? Well, that doctrine is the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you were... Before you received that message, you were the slaves of sin, but since you obeyed the gospel, what happens? Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. Instead of being slaves of sin, and we can't do anything about it, we can't avoid it, we can't escape it, the Bible says now we have been set free from sin, and we are now the slaves of righteousness. In other words, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't get away from righteousness. God is always going to be moving us toward the light, not away from it. Toward truth, not away from it. He's going to be moving us toward righteousness and not toward sinfulness. Are you a slave of sin today? If you are, it's because you're unsaved. Are you a slave of righteousness today? If you are, it's because you've come to know the Lord as your Savior. Folks, we don't practice sin because we have been made righteous through the Lord Jesus. Now, the second thing I want you to see is in verse 9. He says that we are born of God. That's another reason. That's another reason why we do not practice sin. Verse 9, going back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whoever has been born of God, notice this phrase. Now, this is confusing for many as we read it. It says, those who have been born of God, he says, does not sin. How many sin here? Okay, so we've not been born of God, so we're unsaved. Is that what the verse is teaching? Well, you have to read a verse in its context to understand it. Notice the rest of the verse. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. What he's talking about is sinning as a way of life. Sinning as a practice, persisting in sin. He said, listen, the moment you are born of God, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are what? All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And as a new person in the Lord Jesus, you cannot continue to sin because the Holy Spirit will not let you alone. He will keep pursuing you to bring you back into fellowship with the Lord. You see, we're not children automatically of God. We have to be born into His family spiritually. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right or the authority to become children of God to those who believe in His name. So we're not automatically children of God. We have to be spiritually born into His family. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Aren't you glad that we, through our salvation, can have victory not only over sin, but we can have victory over the devil himself, and he's the great tempter? And we can have victory over temptation because we are born of God. And when you're born of God, you receive the very life of God within you. 
Now, there are several things that the new birth secures. Let me just read down a list of things. These are not in your notes, but listen carefully. Number one, the new birth secures the believer's salvation for eternity. In other words, once you're born in the family of God, you'll always be in the family of God. The new birth enlightens the mind so one can discern spiritual realities, discern spiritual truth. Before we were saved, we could not understand the things of God. But now that we have been born from above, the Bible says we can understand God's spiritual truth. Now, it is a progressive thing for us, right? You begin just like a baby begins with the knowledge a baby has, and then it goes growing, and over time, it develops its ability to understand and becomes an adult and understands more and more. As Christians, we do the same thing. We begin by feasting on the milk of the word and then we graduate to eating the meat of the word and the more we live for the Lord and walk with the Lord the more we understand spiritual truth this only happens because of the new birth experience the new birth gives believers the mind of Christ so that they understand the thoughts of God the new birth liberates and energizes the enslaved will previously unable to obey God, but now freely able and willing to do so. When you get up in the morning, do you want to please God for that day? Is that the desire of your heart? You know why that desire is there? God put that in your heart the moment he gave you the new birth. He gave you a desire to please him. The new birth signals the end of the sinner's old life. All things are passed away. Listen, you can't get saved and remain unchanged. There are a lot of people who want to pray a prayer so they can get fire insurance so that someday when they die, they won't go to hell. That's all some people want, but God never offers fire insurance. He doesn't. Salvation is not about going to heaven or hell. It's not. It's not. Going to heaven is one of the benefits of salvation, but salvation is not about going to heaven or going to hell. Salvation is being forgiven of your sins and being delivered from the power of your sins and one day being delivered from the very presence of sin. That's why he saved us. Our old life is gone. We are new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. The new birth takes the hopelessly corrupt and makes them new creatures in the Lord Jesus. We are buried with Jesus Christ and we're raised with him to newness of life. A new life of righteousness. The new birth implies that Christians have received the very same life of God. God is holy and therefore his children become saints and they enter into a life of of holiness. First Peter 1 and 15 says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. First John 2 and 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, that is that God is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The new birth transforms and so we're not like the children of the devil for another reason in verse 9 because it says the seed of God remains in the child of God verse 9 
Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, the question is, what is the seed? What is he referring to here? I want to take you to an important verse. Go with me just back a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 1. Just a couple of pages back in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read for you. Beginning in uh, verse 2, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of what? Partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now it's very important for us to understand what he talks about here when he refers to being partakers of the divine nature. Now we were born into this world as sinners, we received a human nature from our human parents, but from our Father particularly, specifically, we received a sinful human nature that the Bible calls the old man. We have that nature from birth. That's why we don't have to sin to be a sinner. We are born sinners because of original sin with Adam and Eve and because we're born sinners as we grow and develop we begin to sin it's a part of our inherent nature so we have an old fleshly human sinful nature that we are born with in this world well when you are born again you receive a new nature and that new nature is the divine nature. It is the very nature of God himself. Because that nature is God's life. You have the life of God. That's why, folks, you can't lose your salvation. Because God's life is never going to come to an end. God's life is eternal. And you have this new life. You have this, what the Bible calls also, this new man within you. This divine nature. And the Bible seems to describe a conflict that is going on continually between the old man of the flesh and the new man of the spirit, that new nature of God within us. That there's a battle that is going on. And when you walk according to the flesh, then you give yourself to the flesh and you live in a fleshly way. But when you give yourself to the spirit, then you walk in your new man and you live in a way that is pleasing to God. This seed within us is a divine nature that we have and one day thank God that all sinful nature nature within us is going to be removed and we are going to live eternally with only that new divine nature which is absolutely perfect the Holy Ghost dwells in the believer to manifest the reality of that life in their conduct listen to this verse in 1st John you're there in 1st John chapter 3 look down at verse 24 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him that is in Christ, and he, Christ, in him that is the believer who is keeping his commandments. And by this we know that he abides in us. How do you know that Jesus abides in you? By the Spirit 
whom he has given us. One of the greatest gifts of salvation is that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside each and every one of us. These verses are very familiar. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In writing to the the Christians at Corinth, he tells them your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives inside of you. And notice he says, therefore glorify God in your body. He lives in that body so that with that body you can glorify God. And not just with your body, but also with your spirit. Because everything that you are belongs to God. Body, soul, and spirit. And it all needs to be used for the glory of God. Of God. Folks, listen, we have this seed within us. And that seed is never going to leave us. And thank God we have the Holy Spirit within us to allow that new nature to manifest itself in the way we live our lives. One last thing, and very quickly we will finish up with this. We know that we have our children of God because we do not practice sin. You say, Are you going to talk about that again? Are you going to talk about that more? Do you notice what John does? He has this principle. In his writings, he repeats things over and over again. He'll talk about the love of God in chapter 1. Then he talks about the love of God in chapter 2. Guess what he talks about in chapter 3? Talks about the love of God. You know what he talks about in chapter 4? He just happens to talk about the love of God. You know what he talks about in chapter 5? He just happens to come around to talking about the love of God. He understands a principle of learning, and it's called repetition, right? They say you need to hear three things, three times, something for it to register on the brain. Well, John makes sure we hear it more than three times. He not only wants us to know that God loves us, and that we're to love God and love one another. He's got all that subject of love. He also wants us to know that if we're children of God, we must turn away from sin to live for God. We cannot practice sin and call ourselves children of God. It is not that we never sin, but that we don't continually practice sin. The emphasis of the Apostle's statements is on our sanctification, our spiritual growth. With true Christians, we have the Holy Spirit now living within us. The Bible says that we receive a brand new heart. The Bible says that we are completely forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we have a transformed life. And as a result of all of that, we have a new ability to obey the law of God. God has transformed you on the inside so that you can live differently on the outside. The reason we don't lie like we used to lie is because the Lord is delivering us from the activities of the devil. The reason we don't hate like we used to hate is because the Holy Spirit is delivering us from the activities of the devil. We don't sin like we used to sin because we have this new life in Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 7, there are two ways in which it manifests specifically. Look at the end of verse 7 and we finish. He who practices righteousness is righteous. If you are righteous before God, what is the first characteristic? 
you practice righteousness. You practice righteousness. The Bible says that we are being transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, we're becoming more like Jesus all the time. Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? Not to do evil works, but to do what? To do good works. James chapter 2 and verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Listen, you can't say, I am righteous in Christ, and then live in wickedness. If you are righteous in Christ, you will live in a righteous manner. And then secondly, notice the last phrase in verse 7. He says, He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, referring to the Lord Jesus, is righteous. The second evidence of salvation is that you will follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will want to be like him. You will ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do in this circumstance? How would Jesus treat this person right here? Would Jesus watch this particular television program that I'm watching right now? Would he be sitting here comfortably watching that and it not bother his holy being? We need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And based upon what he would do, that should be the standard that we follow. Listen, don't just try to be like other good Christians. That's a great thing. But every Christian is going to fail you in some way. Because we're not perfect. And so you need to look at Jesus and see his perfect example. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, For to this you were called, because Jesus Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Folks, the way you can know if you're a child of God is if you profess righteousness and you are living righteously, and if you profess righteousness and you're following the example of Jesus. That's what a real Christian does. That's the difference between us and the children of the devil. Now, beginning next week, we're going to pick up in verse 11 and down through the end of this chapter, we're going to talk about a second characteristic of the true child of God. Not only, as in verses 1 through 10, we live righteously and do not practice sin, but from verses 11 down to the end of the chapter, he says, if you are a true child of God, you will love other Christians. You will love other believers in the Lord. And he has an awful lot to say about this, very practical things to say. And I think there will be some things that he will want to maybe speak to our hearts about that we might learn how to better manifest love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, we have been talking about this sober issue of being a child of God as opposed to being a child of the devil. And we have seen, Lord, that a child of God lives in righteousness and does not practice sin. We've seen that a child of God lives righteously because they have been born of God. They've had a spiritual birth, a new birth. That we're children of God 
because we have the seed of that new nature, the divine nature within us that was given to us, that new man, at the moment of salvation and new birth. Lord, we don't practice sin when we know that we are truly your children. We'd rather seek to live in righteousness and to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, how I pray that you would make these things a reality in our lives today. Help us, Lord, to live as we ought to live. And we'll be careful to praise you, Father, for all that you'll do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon today. And tune in next week for another sermon from this passage. If you'd like to contact us, send us an email. And we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day.